that sounds familiar, it's because we read a good portion of it last week, and we're going to be in this portion of Romans for um, a little bit longer. Next week, we're going to take a break. Uh, My good friend and uh, fellow partner in the gospel at Cross Point Coast, Bill Adams, is going to come over and preach, and so... um, that, that'll be really exciting. Noah and I will be gone next week, and then we'll be back the following week, and we'll finish up Romans 1, um, which is pretty exciting to get through one chapter of Romans. Um, it only took us several months. But this week we're looking again at this idea of uh, what comes out of the understanding that Paul has of the gospel, right? That it's the power to save. The power to save from what? Right? What does the gospel save us from? Yes, it saves us from sin and, and brokenness and actually gives us righteousness, but it also uh, saves us from the wrath of God that we talked about last week. This wrath that is very real. A, a good God, a good king, will not leave evil unpunished, and so he punishes evil, of which you and I, we find uh, ourselves guilty of. We find ourselves condemned And so, what is it that has deserved this wrath? And I think that's where we're going to go today and be in for the next couple weeks. What is it that deserves the wrath of God? And we see it in our passage this morning that there's an idolatry that takes place. There's an idolatry that's taking place uh, in the, the, the very beginning of the church that Paul is writing to the church in Rome, and he's reminding them of the idolatry that has taken place in society, in culture, and even in some of their lives to, on a grand scale. And then he hits to, to the heart of that idolatry. Like He talks about the practices that maybe, maybe the people are or are not doing. But what he's pointing to is the idolatry that takes place in the heart of every human being. Every human actually rejects the knowledge of God in and of themselves, and rebels against Him and says, I can be my own God. We actually see that in the garden. right? Adam's initial rejection of the truth of who God is says, on my own I can live, and says, I don't need to obey. And so it's this idolatry of self that rises up even in the very beginning. And because of our uh, parents' sin, Adam and Eve, that sin is now inherent in humanity. And so, Paul is writing about this. He's writing about the wrath of God that is due for this idolatry. And then he explains how that idolatry is taking place in the hearts and minds of people. Imagine you are at a museum. uh, And it's going to be hard for some of you, but you're at an art museum. Imagine that you're there. And you walk into one room, and the room is dedicated to a certain artist. And as you look around, you see all of the different art and, and maybe it's paintings, or maybe it's sculptures, or maybe it's a really, really good artist. And they have actually a couple different mediums that they work with. And in those mediums, the, the display that's, that's on is not the individual art pieces themselves, but it points to the artist. God has done the same thing, and we see that in this passage of Romans. God has displayed Himself for all to see. And he's done it in different works of art. And he's done it in different mediums. I was thinking about all the different things that he's done. Uh, and you, you look at creation, right? And that's what Paul is talking about here, that, that we can see it. It's been made known to us. It's clear in the creation of the world in verse 20. 
And I, immediately I think, I begin to think of all the creatures, and we've talked about this a little bit, um, but this one creature that came to mind in our house this morning was the unicorn, which there's some debate on whether that's real or not, but the reality is that uh, we would also probably say that about dinosaurs, you know, if we lived in a different time, and we would, we would say, I don't know if they were real. But here's the deal. God has displayed himself in myriad ways. Think about the human eye. Think about how complex it is. That's just one portion of the, of the human body. Think about fire. I was, I was just thinking about fire and how awesome fire is. Like the fact that that something that is so hot can, can both burn and consume, but also purify and make whole. Like, the fire is awesome. And we didn't invent fire. That's evidenced by volcanoes and by lightning. Like, we maybe came up with some ways to harness it or, or to try to figure it out, but we didn't invent it. God made that. Like, all of these things are on display for, for us to see and behold that there is a creator. There is one who is powerful. There's one who is majestic in the way that he sculpts and creates. And instead of worshiping the the creature, we should be looking to the creator. And the beauty is that like of all these pieces that God has done, the middle of that display would be the cross and the empty tomb. Like you want to see the the power and the magnitude of Christ, uh, the power and magnitude of God, you look to Christ. And all of these other um, displays actually point to that one. They actually point to the reality of our need for a Savior and the kindness of God and the grace of God that He would provide it in His Son, Jesus. And so this morning, we're looking at ways that we have actually said rejected the Creator and looked at the creation. Ways that we have worshipped the created thing rather than the God who made them. And then we, we see that the wrath of God is justifiably poured out on those who would reject the creator and worship the created thing. And yet God has done something for us today in the person of Jesus. And so I pray that we'd have eyes to see that, ears to hear, even as, as some of this actually brings condemnation, right, brings the the reality of our sin upon us, that we would remember that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so even as we see that um, we have not honored God, we have not given Him thanks, we have not worshipped Him rightly, that in that, we remember that we have a God who has walked perfect righteousness. Jesus the Son worshipped the Father completely, faithfully, obediently on our behalf. And so today we we stand in him. And we also get to worship rightly. So I pray that God would do that in us today. But to do that, we need more than just the words on the page. We need the power of the Spirit to take a hard heart and make it soft. To take a heart that is darkened, as we read in our passage this morning, and actually shine the light of grace into it. So we ask him with me this morning. Lord, we pray that you would, by the power of your Spirit, illuminate our darkened hearts, that you would fill us with joy, that you would help us to see rightly that we have been idolatrous. God, that our our culture is an idolatrous culture, that uh, that humanity as a whole seeks to serve and worship things other than the Creator. 
God, have mercy. Have mercy on us and also have mercy on those that aren't here, Lord, that are, that are practicing this idolatrous worship. Lord, would you have mercy even to the point that you would send us to go and to tell them? God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of your word. May it stir us to, um, to have joy this morning and to love you even more. Lord, transform us and conform us to your image today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. Do you see that even in the midst of Paul writing about the wrath of God, you immediately see the grace of God? Do you see that in just these first two verses? It says, for the wrath of God is revealed. And and so we talked last week about the wrath of God actually being a good thing. Because what we, what we don't want is a, is a king or a sovereign ruler who allows brokenness and evil and abuse and hurt to continue without any type of punishment. That would be, that would be anarchy. That would not be a good kingdom. And Jesus has come and he says, I, I've come and he's ushering in the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is a good kingdom. It is a kingdom where, where there is a just ruler who lifts up the oppressed, who goes to the outsider and calls them in. And that's what we see in the kingdom of God. But, but a good king has to punish unrighteousness. And so we saw that on the cross, we see the beauty and the love of God that Jesus would take our wrath. Those who are in Christ the wrath of God will not be poured out on us. It's being poured out. It has been poured out on His Son. And so we, we even remember that probably in heaven, like one of the beauties of, of worship there will be knowing the depth of our sin. Knowing the severity of the wrath of God that was poured out on Jesus and knowing that the Son took that in our place. Like the, You, you want to figure out thousands of reasons, 10,000 reasons or more to, to worship God, to sing His praise, we're going to see it when we see the reality of what our sin costs the Son. We're also going to see that He rose again. We're going, to, we're going to behold Him alive, victorious, and we're going to worship. Like all of those things are going to happen. And so I'm, I'm just excited about that hope that we have where we see the end but until then, we remember what Christ has done and we look forward with a future hope. So we saw that the wrath of God being poured out on us for un- our ungodliness and unrighteousness. Ungodliness and unrighteousness can't be separated. There's only one who is righteous and that is God Himself. And so anytime we are outside of, of displaying His image, we are walking in an ungodliness which is an unrighteousness. And yet we've tried to define God in different, redefine God in different ways. We've suppressed the truth and we've actually tried to change the truth. So if that's true, then we deserve the wrath of God. And yet, like we can't deny that there is a God. Verse 19, for what can be known about God is plain to them 
because God has shown it to them. Like that's, that's a grace and a kindness of God that He would reveal Himself to you and I. We can't, we can't plead ignorance. All of us know that there is a God. He has revealed Himself. The Creator, in His creation, in the things that He has made, has shown us that there is a divine, omnipotent, all-powerful, imaginative Creator God. That's the kindness and grace of God. God is evident. A couple weeks ago, we were in Psalm 19. And in Psalm 19, you had this contrast of natural revelation in the beginning of the psalm to specific revelation towards the end of the psalm. So the the natural revelation is what we can see about who God is in nature. How we can perceive that there is a God. And then the specific law is where God has revealed Himself in Scripture. Where God came and gave Moses the Ten Commandments and, and told Him who He is. I am that I am. And then He gave Him all of the ways that He is righteous and good. And He called the people of Israel to follow Him. To know Him by His name. Like that's an intimate knowledge of who God is. And so in Psalm 19 we see the heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. Like, like everything in creation constantly speaks to the truth that there is a God who has created and it created wonderfully, powerfully, and mightily. This is the grace of God showing Himself to us. He's given Himself to us. And the, the beauty is that not only has He done that in this broader general revelation, but He's done that in a specific revelation. He's told us what it looks like to live rightly. He's told us what it looks like to, to walk in His ways. He's told us about His character and who He is, that He's a jealous God. That He wants not just their obedience, but He wants their whole heart and soul and mind and strength. That's the God that we're talking about. And yet, what we see in Romans and what we see throughout Scripture is that we, in and of ourselves, are unable to give Him those things. We're unable to give Him our heart. We're unable to give Him our mind. We're unable to give Him our obedience. We all fall short of that. You actually see it in this passage in Romans. Verse 20, For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Verse 21 speaks to um, all the different facets of who we are. It talks about our thinking, talks about our hearts, so the way that we follow God is, is God has called us to follow Him with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? And if we're not following Him with our minds and our hearts and our, our obedience, the way that we're living is not going to follow either, or it's going to follow in a self-righteousness, thinking that we're doing it in and of ourselves. And so, God knows. Like, He's displayed Himself in His glory throughout creation, They've been clearly perceived. Maybe your version has a, a, a little bit different 
uh, wording there, but clearly perceived, is huge. Like, you think about the atheist or the agnostic who, who claims that, that they, there is no God, right? And the reality is, how can you say that? You can't, because God has clearly made it known to us in creation and in this providence. He's there and He's real. So we, it says they are without excuse, but I had to write over it, we are without excuse. I am without excuse when I deny God, when I say that God is, is in those moments, right? Even now, even, even as I'm pursuing Christ, there are moments where in my actions and in my words and in my heart, I'm denying that He's real. And so we are without excuse. So what do we need? We need one who would rescue us. But instead of honoring God, verse 21, if you, if you highlight anything in your Bibles, if you underline, underline and highlight verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. I think that that's the crux of this passage. We have no reason to deny God. We have no reason not to honor Him. We have no reason not to give thanks. But that's what we do. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. This idea of honoring and giving thanks. You might say, well, no, I, I do. I give thanks to God, and I honor Him in, the, in what I say. I pray a lot. And man, I'm thankful for the way that God's doing that in us. I will say, though, that if you're, if you're angry, if you're frustrated, if you're bitter, all of those things point to a reality that I'm not honoring God. I'm not actually thankful. And those, those feel like moments, and, I, and I'm not saying like th- that that should be the, the cloud that overhangs your, your total existence, but I'm saying that in those moments where I'm frustrated that things are not going the way that I think that they should, I'm actually not grateful to God for that moment. I'm actually telling Him that something is wrong in that moment, and I'm rejecting Him. And so all of this is just points to our hearts. Our hearts are not fully satisfied with who God is and what He's done. Our hearts are asking for more. And it doesn't get us off the hook that all of us are in the same boat. Like sometimes we're like, yeah, well, we're all sinners, so it's fine. No, like we're all sinners and we have actually rejected a holy God. And the fact that there's a lot of us doesn't make it any better than if there was just one of us. All of us stand in need of a righteousness that we don't have. You see, we've rejected the existence of God. Some of us have acknowledged Him, but instead of seeing Yahweh as He has revealed Himself to us in nature and His Word, we manipulate Him into what we want Him to be. A more docile rejection, but it's a rejection nonetheless. Like It's, it's still saying that who you say you are is not good. So I'm going to just tweak it a little bit. We talked about that last week. As soon as you tweak it, you are worshiping a false god and you have a false religion. As soon as you take away the wrath of God, because that part is shameful and and nobody really wants to talk about it, as soon as you deny that fact, 
you have changed who God is and you're worshiping a false God and a false religion. If we do not take Him as His Word gives Him to us, as a Spirit empowered in us and, cha- and speaking to us and applying His Word to us, if we're not coming to Him with a humility that says, you are God, you are the Creator, I'm the created thing, then we're rebelling against Him and we're still walking in our, our idolatry. Our idol just looks a lot like God with a couple small modifications. But it's an idol nonetheless. You see, this is true. So whether you are blatantly rejecting him saying there is no God or you're just slightly fashioning him into what you want him to be, all of us stand condemned to this idolatry. So instead of giving God honor and thanks, we become fools. Our hearts are darkened. We, we don't see truth clearly. We manipulate it. We suppress it. We change it. So we have darkened hearts and foolish thoughts. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Listen, the, the, the piercing question here is where are you devoting your, your thoughts, your time, your affection other than God himself. And I was, Randy had talked about staying with the kids today, and I was kind of hoping she would because like, I didn't want to have to bring all of this stuff up. But the, the reality is like, I worship so many other things than God. Whether that's the Mariners because they were hot and one ate straight and got really excited about it, or whether it's uh, something that's maybe a little less... Um, Evident and maybe maybe more socially acceptable. Maybe I'm worshiping my kids, but really I'm worshiping like my idol of being a good father, right? All of us are chasing these other things instead of worship. Where am I putting my time, my talent, my treasure? Instead of worshiping God, do I put it in my home? Do I put it in um, the the appearances that I lay before people? Do I put it in like really good things? Maybe I'm maybe I'm putting it towards Ending hunger. Maybe I'm putting it towards, um, you know, making life better for people. And yet, if it's not going to the knowledge of the one true God that we are all rejecting, then I'm actually not doing them any favors. I might actually just be masking the desperate need that they have. And I need to come with the truth of the gospel. What is true? And see, we we make this exchange which is what he's talking about in verse 23. We exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And maybe you're like, I don't have any totem poles in my house with, with like images of animals, or I don't even have statues in my house because I don't, I don't think that's a good idea. No, that's not what we're necessarily talking about. We, we have ways that we create idols that are so much more effective that are with us all the time. Who else has an idol in their pocket? Right? Something that you just chase after, that you're looking at all the time, that's feeding you your image and your self-worth. Right? We don't, we don't need statues that we, or even necklaces or the, the charms maybe that they had in previous times because we have access to so many other idols all the time. And some of us are feeding each other's idols. 
Man, we need to feed each other's passion for Christ. Passion for the God of the universe, the Creator God who made these beautiful things. And yet we make that not so great exchange that they're making in verse 23. Exchanging the glory of a mortal God for images resembling man and birds and animals and creeping things. And we think we're so wise. We think we're like we're, we're advancing in technology. We're advancing in our understanding of science. We're advancing in, in our knowledge. And yet, we are calling what God calls foolishness being wise. And if God is the Creator, and if He is the one who is wise, and He is the one who is righteous, and He is the one who is good, then we don't get to argue with Him. We have to believe that what He says is true. That way we truly are wise instead of becoming fools. In this not-so-great exchange, we receive the results of our rejection of God. Verse 24, Therefore God gave them up to the lusts in their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. I love that. Paul, like, Paul can't talk about the Creator without it just stirring worship in him. Like... How often do we just take God as like um, the, this thought, this image, this theory, rather than a person? Rather than one who is blessed forever. Amen. Like he just, it just stirs something in him. If you and I are sharing Christ with somebody and it doesn't stir us to worship, we might want to ask ourselves, are we sharing Christ? Because if, if, it's, if we're sharing Christ, we should probably start feeling joy. We should probably start, begin to get excited. Maybe your excitement looks different from my excitement. But it should be there nonetheless. The joy of knowing who Jesus is as we share him should come through. We're going to spend some time in verses 24 through 32. Um, in a couple weeks, because there's this, this giving, God giving us up to what we want over and over. How many times are we going to continue to go after what we want rather than the God who has given us everything, a satisfaction in Him, and we chase idols and images that do not satisfy? And even in, those, even in the chasing, we begin to realize that this doesn't satisfy. Chasing after idols does not give me what I want, even when I get it. And so what I need is something that will satisfy. What we do is we sacrifice satisfaction in the Creator for the misery of idolatry. It's sacrificed or or exchange. The exchange is the word that Paul uses here several times. We're giving up the best for something lesser. And what we find is that that lesser thing is actually destroying us. Our sin is actually destroying us. Destroying the relationships around us. Breaking what God has, has called us to do. Breaking what God has made whole. Right? In the, in the beginning, we were satisfied you look at Adam and Eve in the garden, walking with God. 
Can you imagine? Like, I can't imagine. And yet they exchanged that. They gave it up. So that they could chase after the idea that they could be God. Exchanged the glory of the immortal God for something else. God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. An exchange of truth leads to wrong worship. As soon as we begin to sacrifice our truth, we can, we can try to worship, but our worship is now wrong. Do you, do you see the correlation there? Like if, if we're not standing on truth, then it doesn't matter how uh, expressive you are. It doesn't matter how devoted you are. It doesn't matter how loving you are, which we talked about last week. The only way that we know love is if we know God. And if we are ungodly, then we are unloving. But it doesn't matter how much you stir up those things in your worship. If you're not standing on the truth of who God is, and if you don't know Him rightly, you're worshiping wrong. An exchange of truth leads to wrong worship, which is what we've done according to Romans 1. We've exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Augustine says it this way. He says, idolatry is worshiping anything that ought to be used or using anything that ought to be worshiped. I thought that was pretty poignant because sometimes what we'll do is we'll, we'll, we'll be really worshipful of God and yet then in our prayers we try to use God, which is also a form of idolatry. We want Him to try to change these things that we think need to be changed and so we give Him our, our task list or... We give Him uh, all of our wants, expecting Him to meet the wants, rather than He tells us to come to Him and cast our cares upon Him. So I'm not saying don't give Him your wants. I'm saying don't demand from God the way that you think it should be done. And so we don't want to practice any of this idolatry. And we want to worship rightly. We want to worship the One who created. We want to worship and serve the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. You see, right and true worship gives glory to God, the Creator. And so I pray that that would be what God does in us. So listen, all of this leaves us in a pretty dire place. <laughs> like we've made this exchange. We've exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Oh man, what do we do? I can't believe, A, I can't believe we did that. But then I look around and I say, yeah, we did that. Look at life. Look at the way that the sin pervades my life. Look at culture. Look at the ways that we have gone about creating all of these idols to worship rather than the one true God. What do we do? If this is the plight of mankind to reject God and instead worship idols, what do we do? But that's where God wants to bring us. That's, that's where truth brings us. is to a place of a desperate plea. A place that says, oh God, I need a Savior. That's why in our prayer of confession we say, listen, you, you, have, to, you have to be honest about who we are. That there is sin, that it's prevalent, that it, it just creeps in in so many different ways and that God is holy. But we can't finish that confession without pointing to the One who has redeemed and reconciled a sinner like me to a holy God. 
Jesus, the Christ. So what do we do? Paul gives us words for this prayer. Later on in Romans, in Romans 7.24, he asks the right question. He doesn't ask, what can I do? He asks the question of, of, of God, what can you do? He says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? He realizes that he can't deliver himself. He's in a really bad place. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? Well, Romans 7.25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, this is the great exchange. While you and I made the not-so-great exchange of exchanging truth for the lie, God came and He worked the Gospel through the perfect obedience of His Son all the way unto death, a death that you and I deserve. And at the cross, if we, if we are in Christ, if we say, That's, I'm in Christ, I trust you, I, by faith I take hold of what you've done, that now I exchange my sin and my shame and my brokenness, the wretched man that I am, for the righteousness of Christ. Because not only did he take our sin and our shame, but every action that he did was fully obedient, faithful to the Father. And so I exchanged my brokenness for his wholeness. I exchanged my need and my lack for his completion. I exchanged my unsatisfaction for a complete satisfaction in Him at the atonement of the cross. That's the only way that you and I are right with God. All of Romans 1 points to the reality that you and I are not right with God, that we have rejected Him and rebelled against Him. And so what we need is we need a Savior. Romans 3 21 through 26, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Man, that's good news. Because we are wretched and, and desperate and God came and did this work to justify us and give us His righteousness in His Son, Jesus. And we take hold of it by faith today. An active, obedient faith so that later on when you mess up, you don't try to fix it yourself. You trust that Christ has paid for that on the cross and that He's given you His righteousness to walk in. So you repent of that sin. You turn from it and you say, man, I don't, I don't want that sin. I want God. I want the Creator, not the created thing. I want the One who is all-powerful. And he's, he's done that because... The very beginning of it is when he takes this darkened heart and he shines the light of his grace into it. Because you and I, we don't, we don't choose him. He chose us. He pursued us. He came after us. This has always been the, the hard part for us to get our, get our understanding around is that all of this is, is not about us being saved. It's about God being glorified by saving us. 
This isn't a New Testament idea. This is the Old Testament, Ezekiel 36. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and because you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Like that's a full gospel transformation. It's a new heart that begins to change my desires that allows me to see rightly. The darkened heart that had been blind and now has, has eyes to see the glory of God. The one who is beautiful. He puts a spirit within us. A spirit that changes the way that we think and the way that we view and changes our affections. And then, I love the end of it, and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. We have to get this in the right order. Like, like what's going to change the way that we behave? What's going to change me from living in, in sin and in brokenness to living in righteousness? It's a heart that would say, God, you have done this work in me. You took my darkened heart. You took my foolish mind. And and you've changed me. And I know, looking at your word, that that's by the power of the Spirit that is applying the gospel of Christ, the gospel of what Jesus has done into my life. And so, God, I pray that I would walk in obedience, that you would cause me to walk in your statutes and to be careful to obey you. But there's people that, are, that don't know this truth. There's people that, that see that, that, that there is a God. That, that's evident to them. But they don't know the truth that Jesus has come and done a redeeming work on behalf of those who would trust and believe in Him. And that's where you and I come in. We get to go with that good news. But it's not good news unless we believe it for us first. But I also think that as soon as we begin to Believe it for us, it drives us, it propels us to go and tell others about them. We all, we all have that experience. We have a, a favorite show, favorite team, a favorite thing we do that we just begin to tell others about and we can't help it. Like, and people know. They're like, man, if I'm going to talk to that person, I'm going to have to hear about this because they love it. I want that to be Jesus for us. Right? Like, God, would you do that in us, stir it in us so that we would be passionate about you, so that we would go and tell others about the good work that you've done on the cross, the atoning work where you took my sin and my shame and you bore the penalty for that in your death. The righteous wrath of God was poured out on the Son and not on me. By grace, I've been saved. Not because of my works, but because of the righteousness of Christ. And then today I get to go and I get to walk in that righteousness. I get to genuinely love others. I get to lay down my life for others. I get to live in such a way that the name of the Lord, I will vindicate the holiness of my name 
You see, it's all about who God is and what He's done. It's all about the, the painter, the sculptor. It's not about even us, the, the creatures who are being transformed and conformed. It's miraculous, yes, but that's not the main centerpiece. The main centerpiece is the author, the Creator, God Himself. What has He done? What is He doing? He's done it in His Son, and then He's producing, reproducing it in each one of us for His glory and for His name. Amen? Amen. Lord, we thank You, God, for the truth of Your Word. We thank You that we get to rejoice in Your goodness and in Your kindness. Lord, I pray that even now as we move into a, a time of communion, Lord, that as we take... We take the elements that we remember, Lord, that you poured out your blood for us. You were beaten and crucified so that we would have life. You bore the wrath and the punishment of a holy God so that we would not. Lord, may that fill us with joy. May it fill us with love. May it fill us with uh, the reality and the understanding that our life is not our own. It's been bought with a precious price. Lord, may we live for you. Not because we're trying, but because your spirit is within us and causing us to walk in your statutes and be careful to obey your rules. Lord, may that be um, how we are known as a people who love Jesus who tell other people about Jesus, who walk in your ways for your glory. We ask all of this in your name. Amen.